are listening to Fanholes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those at? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? Raphael, come back to the cave and listen to fan holes with your brothers and me. Hey, get lost, man. He's just a rich thrill seeker who dresses like Dracula and listens to fan holes because you think it's fun. But fan holes, the pop culture podcast made for the fans by the fans is serious business to me and my family. Let me show you something, Raphael. My parents were murdered in this very alley when I was just a boy. Murdered before they ever got a chance to listen to fan holes. And that's why I do this. So that no family has to go without the fan holes podcast. Oh, well, okay. I guess you're alright then. Maybe I was a little rough on you. It's fine. We cool, G? Yeah, we're cool, fans. Alfred, what is it? Master Wayne, please return to the cave immediately. I fear Master Michelangelo has somehow started the Batwing's engines. Oh, God damn it. Oh, open Hey guys, welcome back to another Turtle Souperific episode of Fan Holes Podcast. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and joining me tonight are two, two, count them, two heroes in a half shell that are joining me for this podcast. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, it's Mike, and I have a full shell. Hey, this is Justin, and the first person who says Gungula dies... <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you, did we? Don't, don't, did we ever find out what Gungula means? No. No. no we don't, <laughs> like we don't from know. four or five years ago when we did our first Turtles podcast. No, I don't think so. I don't think any of us know. So if you haven't, if you haven't figured out, we are celebrating the release of the feature film Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Out of the Shadows. Apparently, the the New York City premiere is actually tomorrow as we're recording this. But if you are listening to this, you are probably listening to this for the United States worldwide release of June 3rd, 2016. So it should be 
released in and around that time period. And, of course, what we decided to do for this episode to tie in was a long time ago, way back in Fanhole's episode 110, we originally covered the IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics that were out in and around that time period. We sort of did a broad overview of, like, the first two years or so worth of turtle comics and we're just kind of picking up from where we left off was one of the decisions we made was that you know i guess people on the podcast the fan holes were chomping at the bit to follow up and talk more about the current idw comic series basically like uh, up to this point it's been like issues 26 till about the current issue which is about 58 or so is what I read up to. And so basically it's it's kind of almost like a, what, two and a half years worth of comics. So we're not going to be going, you know, in depth, like, you know, synopsis by synopsis, page by page or anything. But it's kind of more going to be a broad overview of kind of our thoughts on the comics and the different arcs that have been going on and everything. And then for the back end, we were also looking for an excuse to read Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which was a crossover that is released by DC Comics and IDW, which definitely ties into the current IDW comic series and supposedly ties into the new 52 Batman series as well. So that's pretty much what we're here to discuss. Uh, Before we get into that, some specifics, I did want to go over some brief feedback that we had received. We did get some feedback from our good buddy Mike Prime over on Bot Talk, and this was on Fanhole's episode 155, Gwen Stacy and the Pussycats. So I just wanted to read his feedback that he left for us over on the Bot Talk forums. He said, I've so far listened to the part about the amazing Spider-Man. I think that the Zodiac are walking the fine line between legit threat and goofy villains. I'm trying to stay positive and buy them as dangerous. I wouldn't be at all surprised if Marvel makes Peter poor again for the sake of a movie tie-in. There are, however, people in Parker Industries who have betrayed him, and if the company collapses, it would feel like a natural progression of the story. I do like Peter Parker being successful, though it is almost like a natural development of the character from when he started in the 1960s. He can't be perpetually down on his luck just for the sake of filling that role of being relatable to readers. I do agree that the webware is very of its time and quite corny. So that was his reaction and response to us talking about the current Amazing Spider-Man comic back when I had my my awesome sore throat and was going to uh, comic cons and stuff. But you you guys have anything to uh, say to the follow-up other than thanks, Mike Prime, for listening to the show? That's one of my favorite recent episodes, and it's one of my favorites because, you know, your voice was sore, so we didn't have to listen to you talk a lot, Derek. (laughs) (laughs) So no, you should you should write up that on iTunes and then <laughs> and then give us a, a iTunes review and then five stars like you didn't have to listen to Derek talk so much. It's like in little quotes at the bottom under the episode title. It's like Derek doesn't talk a lot in this one. Like don't, two thumbs up. All, like whoo. Okay. <laughs> whoo. Ninja, mutant, turtle, teenagers. Well, when you put it like that, it sounds ridiculous. 
so I guess we'll we'll actually get into the nitty gritty, which is the IDW comic catch up series. And I I, I just want to say thanks for for again bringing this up to my attention because I did enjoy reviewing those first two years worth of issues when we did it back in episode one ten. And uh, again, I really enjoyed kind of going through all these. I mean, this was kind of like a binge, you know, read for me. You know, I, I haven't really touched the comic series since we last reviewed it. And, and it was very, very enjoyable. So I, I thank both of you guys for suggesting this because I had a lot of fun catching up and reading the series. Do, do you guys want to go into any specific details or anything? Or like, do you want to sort of, you know, kind of, explain like what the kind of various arcs are and then talk about them. I, I wasn't sure exactly how you want to sort of frame this. I mean, me, uh, Justin, were you reading this like regularly as it came out or? Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm a big Turtles fan. So I've been reading this month to month and, you know, I've, I've also been reading most of the miniseries that have been coming out. So yeah, I've, I've been keeping up with it cause you know, I'm a huge fan. I, I yeah like I I more or less kept up with it like regularly up until about issue fifty and then like then for this podcast I caught up on like I think yeah all the way up to issue fifty eight and I read some of the mini series and stuff and um yeah like I I think you and me kind of corresponded a couple times like when like issue fifty came out or like some other significant issues like during this run I, I actually like, what's know, what's funny is I think I remember what you're talking about because in issue forty four. There's there's kind of this this hint that, you know, Donatello may have perished, you know, like they, they leave you on a cliffhanger there and everything. And at the time, I guess when you guys were reading it from month to month, you're like, oh, I, I remember you guys either talking to one another. Yeah, I was always I like Justin was the one I was like, I had to ask. I was like, did you have did you read Turtles this week? <laughs> like, holy shit, man. Yeah, like, right. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, so. I don't know. I mean, I guess um, I guess it goes without saying, but you know, spoilers, you know, because because we're going to be talking oops. about specific plot points and everything. But if you if you didn't know and you don't know what we're talking about and and you you want to be filled in, basically, like there 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 were a number of different arcs. I mean, I think I think when we were covering it, we we stopped in the middle of an arc called City Fall, which was basically where you know Leonardo went all bad Don Johnson and stuff and joined the Foot and all that kind of stuff. And and then it goes into a couple other story arcs. One is called Northampton. Another one is kind of loosely based on Return to New York. And then the issues that we're talking about now, just to get you caught up to speed, is a arc called Attack on the Terradrome. And, you know, the whole time in the background, even when they're constantly battling with the Foot Clan, you know, Donatello's very concerned about the impending attack of the Terradrome, and he's working in tandem in secret with Professor Honeycutt, who is the fugitoid, and he's trying to, you know, work around the clock to prevent this and everything. And he comes up with a pretty clever rival fusion plan type thing. And unfortunately, the result of that is that he is under the the ominous watch of Bebop and Rocksteady. And when, of course, the Shredder gets betrayed and, and Krang and Shredder are fighting one another on, you know, an island, Cobra Island style or something, it ends with uh, Bebop and Rocksteady basically beating the fuck out of him and breaking his shell in two, where you're just like, oh, my God. Like, they, you know, you, you, you I mean, if you were reading it month to month, you, you were really left with the impression that he is 
he's dead. Like he, I, I thought he dead. was. Yeah, yeah. After that issue, I was like, holy shit! Like, did they really just like? I think I said like, uh, did they really just kill one of like the turret? You can't do that. Yeah, yeah. Like, you were, you were like, like, that's unthinkable, right? And but yet you were kind of reading it, and 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 you 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 and it wasn't like one of those things where you know how like sometimes you read a comic book and by the second issue it's like, oh look, Jean Grey's dead again. You know, and you're like, yeah, whatever. She's gonna be back like two weeks later or whatever. Like those kind of notions i i don't think that even occurred to me when i was i mean the, the only thing that occurred to me was i was binge reading it and i started remembering you guys talking about it and i went oh shit yeah they totally talked about this i guess he must be dead you know like i was i was really kind of thinking that that was part, part, part of me part of me was also like well that's what you get for staying back and judging people from the corner like <laughs> be shit yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Like I was, I was thinking uh, that while I was reading this story arc, where I was like, "Wow, this is like surprisingly similar to." Yeah, I mean, it's not quite as bad as as Beast ended up being in the Marvel comics, you know, with his whole silent judgment and stuff. But but there there was kind of similar similar stuff going on during that, you know. Like and but I I kind of like the way that they played it where you thought he was being a douche sort of like Donatello in a way, but he actually like, you know, they sort of reveal after the fact how he had like a secret powwow with Leonardo and they came up with this whole master plan. Like, cause at the time you're like, Oh wow. Kind of like beast reaching out to like dark beast and all these other, you know, Mr. Sinister, all these nefarious people to sort of see if they could help him defeat the legacy virus. I thought, Oh, this is going to be like the same thing. Like Donatello is, reaching out to the Foot Clan and kind of thinking, well, look, the enemy of my enemy is, you know, at least is my, you know, if not my friend, you know, that they can they can be used to defeat the the worst of two evils, you know, which to him was Krang and the impending Utram invasion and the Terradrome. So, like, in that sense, you're like, okay, well, that makes sense. I see where he's coming from. But he also sort of knew his family wouldn't approve and, and you're thinking he's doing this sort of behind their backs, but it all turns out that it's sort of part of this master plan that they sort of had to keep from Splinter because he was sort of narrowly focused on defeating the shredder, I think. But, but I mean, other than that, it seemed like, you know, Leo and them were all kind of in on it, you know, and, and, and went along with the program and stuff. And, and it really turned out to be this, fun storyline with a bunch of twists and everything. And, and, and this also, I mean, the reason why I thanked you guys for having me revisit this is I feel like this is, this is clearly a retelling of a lot of different turtle storylines, whether it's from the two K three series or from the cartoons or from, you know, the original, I mean, I think that's why, you know, Kevin Eastman gets a credit on all these stories, whether he has a you know major hand in the dialogue in the stories or not, because all of them seem to be loosely based on arcs that the previous Mirage comic turtles went through. But it's it's like a wonderful retelling, you know, like like this is I, I, I would imagine all the people who were super critical of, of something like, say, the new 52, like, you know, maybe they would point to this as like if you're going to retell a story like look at this this is how you do it type thing yeah. i mean i i don't know if that speaks to either of you but but that's yeah, something totally. I, you know um you know usually after we do these shows like mike or i will you know we'll ask the other like you know did you read anything good this week and i kind of noticed like i kind of got into this habit i'll be like no i haven't even read wednesday's comics yet and you know i i used to be the guy who was like johnny on the spot like just sitting there waiting for Wednesday's comics because I was such a huge fan and I couldn't wait but 
you know, the past like couple of years, I've got really kind of grumpy with Marvel and DC. But you know, you know, despite that, like there are still a few comics where I'm just like, oh yeah, it's, it's time for that comic, like like Velvet. And you know, one of the ones that I always look forward to reading is Ninja Turtles. And I think it's because, like you said, it is a good like kind of a retelling, and it draws inspiration from the different you know properties that are out there that are turtle related that's that's one of the reasons why i was kind of worried about donatello because i was like you know they've been borrowing from you know all these different turtle properties and things so i was like man are they gonna like you know borrow from the image series that was really really terrible and turn donatello into a cyborg or something because like i don't i don't want to see that but, but thankfully they didn't go that route yeah i really like how like you know, you've got, like, guys like Hun palling around with, like, Bebop and Rocksteady, so it's, like, you know, mixes of, like, all different versions of Turtles and stuff, and I, while I think, like, the Mirage comics are probably the biggest inspiration, it's, like, they're not afraid to take stuff from any other incarnation and make it work kind of, like, seamlessly, or kind of, you know, make it work better in a lot of cases. Yeah, I, I have to admit, one of the, th- the one of the things they borrowed from other other interpretations of the turtles that I was super shocked to see incorporated into this run was the mute animals. Like I didn't expect yeah. to see those guys at all. Like I was kind of like for reals, like the, the, like the super team of Archie guys, like, like that were all, you know, you know, Mondo Gecko and, and all those, like, I mean, Her- Hermit, Hermit, the Hermit crowd yeah, is awesome. You know? Like in this series. Yeah, so yeah, I was I like, just, like <laughs> I was I was super surprised that 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 went down at all. Like and 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 I guess tying into what Justin was saying, I mean, I did not read all the tie-in miniseries. I think I asked him. I said, "Are there a lot of things that I need to read to catch up on this arc?" And he pretty much told me no, because I know in the previous series it did seem like those first two years it was like, "Oh, to find out what happens here, check out micro series issue whatever." You know, to find out what happens here, check out you know micro series. You know, basically they were kind of like the Turtles versions of Transformers Spotlight or something, you know, where there were lots of things that happened that related to the ongoing series. And I, I think there's still some of that in, in this last two years and a half or so. But, I mean, some of those things, I, I think the only one that I really felt the need to read when I was going back through the um, the last couple years' worth was I think they had, like, the free comic book day tie-in issue. And I did feel like the need to, because I, I felt like, wait, I'm, I feel like I'm missing something. And I went back and I think I read that issue again. But I, I did not read the Mutanimals miniseries, and I don't, I did not read the Casey and April miniseries. Which the only thing I really got out of that was that there was some kind of falling out between the two of them during that miniseries. Because when you when you come back from the time skip in issue from I guess like fifty to fifty one or something it seems like they're not quite you know the, the some something happened and and you know they haven't really their relationship I don't, like really it's been stable it's weird because i did read that miniseries and like they they're they seem okay at the end of it but then like when they get back casey's kind of got like a chip on his shoulder for like some reason it's like so I, I don't know if i don't know i just didn't read too deeply into it or what but I don't know. It seemed like a little bit of a disconnect to me. Mm. But. Okay, maybe 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 it wasn't just me. You know, maybe it wasn't that I didn't read the miniseries, but you know that they were just going in a strikingly different direction with those two characters. I mean, um, the, the only yeah, I, all I was gonna say was the only thing I noticed majorly was 
for a long time, I think I had gotten used to April looking the way she did with the hairstyle she did. And then the, the funny part was there's supposed to be this scene where I guess she gets a haircut and everybody's supposed to be like, you know, you know, like she looks like super hot or something. And all I could think of was like, dude, you're just saying that because it's your girlfriend. Like, that's a terrible fucking haircut. Like, the, the, I mean, you know, that that's what that's what I was thinking in my head. But but I mean, other than that, I mean, I, I sort of have enjoyed their relationship. I, I thought it was kind of cool that they introduced like the, the the father again and the 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 mother and, and how, you know, when they go to Northampton, which was kind of like the, the, the post you know, return to New York, you know, type that, you know, it's like that, there's always that, that sequence, whether you look at the original Turtles movie or their Mirage comics, there's always that moment where, you know, the foot makes a comeback, kicks their ass, and then they have to go out to the country and hang out. But in most of those sequences, they're usually on their own. You know, it's like either April and Casey and then them at a farmhouse somewhere. And it's just kind of like, they, they have time to rest, recuperate, and heal, and then they go back and fight the good fight. And in this, I felt like, in some ways, they added that whole, you know, Ma and Pa Ken are still alive dynamic, where they had April's parents there, and they had, like, some kind of support system. And, and I sort of enjoyed the whole idea of, you know, April's dad being uh, kind of... I, I forget what they said he was suffering from, but he was kind of almost, you know, not, not paraplegic, but, like, he, he basically had like some kind of, you know, constant medical care where, you know, the wife was constantly tending to him. And I think by the end of the arc, they managed to sort of reverse engineer some of that mutagen so that it's like pure and doesn't like turn him into an animal or anything, but it corrects his his medical, you know, his health issues. And then, you know, he, he actually becomes sort of a, a more productive member of society again you know and i was like oh that's kind of cool because you know i i like the whole conversation where casey's kind of like look man like like i'll heal from my wounds you know like splinter will heal from the broken leg but you know you should use this on as your dad you know because he's he can never recover from that unless we do some you know magic -y magic stuff from you know the mutagen and stuff because there's there's nothing that our medical science can currently do to, to help your father and i thought that was kind of a cool moment between the two of them we're in medieval times england in the year 980 a.d that is so cold right isn't that what you say in your time cold it's actually cool and no this is not cool at all i kind of forgot about the turtles in time miniseries or i might have mentioned that to derek but it's it's only referenced once that i know of like you know they just introduced leatherhead and they kind of referenced that Turtles in Time miniseries, and I think that's the only time it's brought up. So I guess it's, I guess it's not really important, but it, I thought it was kind of a fun little miniseries. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that miniseries, and well, it's kind of like they kind of like try to retcon in like like importance into it. Like it seems like the turtles kind of like you know make the timeline go the way it should by appearing like in different times and stuff. Like when they appear in like feudal Japan. And they run into, like, Hamato Yoshi and, like, Oroku Saki when they were still human and stuff. And, uh, like, Leonardo gets it in his head that, like, he's going to go kill Oroku Saki, like, before he can kill, like, you know, the family or whatever. So, they do, like, he tries to, like, assassinate him, and then, like, Raphael talks him down. And then, like, at the end, like, Oroku Saki's like, man, like, you know... 
<laughs> like, people be, like, messing with my shit. Like, next time someone messes with my shit, I'm going to kill him and his whole family. <laughs> and then he, you know, it turns out, like, it's, like, that caused him to, like, you know, probably, like, murder Hamato Yoshi and his family. But, um, yeah, and then there's, like, the Leatherhead connection and that pirate issue. And then, um, what else was there? Um, oh, they, they encounter, like, the Utrams in the prehistoric era. And then, um... Uh, I forgot what the what was the last issue? Oh, the future? Yeah, when they they find like old Donatello who's like like retired and whatever. Um, it, I don't know. It, it was a fun mini series, but yeah, I get what you're saying though. Like where it wasn't it wasn't so much impactful on the future of the main series, but it was impactful on the past of that series. Yeah, I felt like the the girl they meet, the time traveling girl, like I think she appears in an issue, and it it, it was sort of new reader friendly at least because it was almost like you will meet me, and to to read what happens, you can go read the Turtles in Time miniseries, but you didn't need to read it to enjoy the rest of that issue. I think you know, like you could still enjoy it on its own merits. What did you guys think of the fiftieth issue, like specifically, like? what happens at the end of that because like that kind of blew my mind i was kind of like mikey at the end i was just like wait 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 what like things are changing way too much i you know what's funny is like honestly like my my impressions of issue 50 were i really enjoyed it i really liked it i think it's kind of awesome that they they can it's kind of like when, when Mike talks about how he appreciates things when they make, like, say, a Spider-Man cartoon, like, say, the Spectacular Spider-Man, and you sort of have foreknowledge of how things are going to eventually line up and go. And so you can play with it a little more and, and sort of have cool B and C subplots that lead into something that you know is sort of a foregone conclusion, but, but do it in a more strategic way and not as sort of blunt and crazy as maybe an original comic storyline would have done it. And, and I sort of feel like it took them 50 issues to get to the end of issue number one of the Mirage comic. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that was, it was like, they, they really, it's almost like the payoff for that, is, is so well-earned, because you're, like, sitting there thinking, man, you, you took five years to get to that end, and it felt like you're, you were just so kind of invested in all the characters and the family connections and all that stuff. So, like, that part of it, I really enjoyed. And I, I know what you're asking, Justin. You're sort of asking, like, well, you know, at the end of that, basically because Orokusaki is defeated and, and Splinter lops his head off, then he, in turn, becomes the head of the Foot Clan. And so, ostensibly, you know, the Turtles are now members of the Foot, and they're actually leading the Foot, except for Michelangelo, who kind of freaks out about it and is like, this is this is too weird for me. Like, I gotta... He, go, he, go, he goes to live on Paradron with Sandstorm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's like I gotta I gotta I gotta check out of here for a little while and 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 you know get my head together because this is way too mind blowing for me. I mean, I I guess I mean you know conceivably it could be really cool if they it, it's that whole thing of can they walk the tightrope type story you know and it's like if it if it goes the way of like Daredevil Shadowland where by the end of it Splinter's like a demon rat that's like eating all his sons then I'll probably be disappointed with it <laughs> but I mean if it's one of those things where they can sort of manage the the tightrope and and use the foot like as they're going I mean it, it it's 
it's kind of weird. Like, I, I enjoy those 50 issues as, like, one whole gigantic storyline. And I think there there was a point of, oh, like, it was almost like you felt like um, there there was a certain sense of climax to that 50th issue. And, and even, like, the art change was kind of jarring in the, the next two issues after that. Yeah. They switched the artist. And it was, like, one of those things where... There, there were a lot of good elements to it. Like, I, I love the fact that because of that, he gives up using his nunchucks, and we finally have, like, an in-canon story reason why Michelangelo is using his, like, bola grappling hook that he switched yeah. to in the cartoon. <laughs> like, in the cartoon, it's just out of nowhere. It's like, oh, wait, you know, you know I think it was, like, you know, moms or something decided nunchucks were bad or whatever, and they had to get rid of the nunchucks in the cartoon, so then he started using that sort of grappling hook thing or whatever. But I love that there's, like, an actual, like, in-story, you know, reason for that, like, that that it's it's part of this, like, you know, Michelangelo, no more, and he, like, chucks his nunchucks, you know, and you're just like, oh, that's pretty rad. Like, I really thought that was cool. Yeah, I like, and I agree with you with, like, the, the issue, issue 50 being, like, like like a peak basically yeah. and i i feel like everything that's come since then has kind of been like like after like buffy season six and seven or mm. or what you, i think I, i've not watched the show but you've told me like after like in supernatural oh after yeah after, fall, after like season five yeah something. yeah like where do you like you know they beat Krang, they beat Shredder, so, like, where do you go from here, basically? Well, and, I mean, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't been bad, but it, it just hasn't had the same, like, impact so far. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Like, I mean, I still enjoy it. I still really look forward to reading the comic month after month, but I agree. I think it peaked, but, you know, like, as you'll see, my avatar is uh, the Umtrom Charel. Yeah, who, yeah. Who is, they pretty much lifted him from the... 2003 series where you know shredder was an intro so like i think that's the direction they're gonna go like i imagine you know they'll free Cherell or he will escape somehow and you know since he you know it, that scar on his face is basically the foot clan symbol so i kind of expect them to say like you know this is like the original shredder who was in, inspiration for Oroko saki like that's what i think maybe they'll go in a different direction or not but like i kind of expect like him to like take up the mantle of shredder and challenge splinter or something yeah and i that would, I, that would be cool yeah. yeah i mean there's that aspect from the 2k3 series they could go in the direction of i i have to admit i mean even though i mentioned that there was like you say that there was a peak in issue 50 and and those two issues after that just took a little bit of kind of starting from the ground floor again you know like you're back at the bottom of the mountain type thing i mean i have to admit i did really enjoy i mean as obvious as it was like because if you know things you're kind of like oh well we all know leatherhead's a fucking bad guy but like i I sort of enjoyed that little journey of like oh well turtles like i guess i have not been so honest with you you know like and you're just kind of like oh okay you know like it was a fun it was a fun little journey and and i i think I think it was worthwhile, and it, that that I think I appreciated more than anything of, of sort of the it, the next it was, set it, of arc. It, it vaguely reminded me of one of those like stupid like cartoon episodes where someone is clearly evil, but like the the main cast can't figure it out until the last like five yeah, minutes. Yeah. But but it was it was a lot more. It was a much more well done than like those like or like like Savage Noble or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You know, where yeah. it's like it's completely obvious what's happening. <laughs> but the, 
Yeah, durr, everyone's durr. Like, yeah. I don't know, but since Leatherhead was Yeah, I mean, I mean so, there was definitely like, that aspect to it. Since Leatherhead was, like, so, like, yeah, like, urbane and witty, like, you know, and cultured, it seemed like, you know, he was entertaining to have around, so you were kind of, like, you know, you were happy about it, basically, but... I do like this setup now. Like, it reminds me of, like, Angel Season 5, like, when they're, you know, they, they take over Wolfram and Hart. Yeah, so it's like yeah. now the Turtles, like, you know, have access to, like, the Foot Clan soldiers and, like, you know, more resources than they had. So, you know, maybe it'll turn out, yeah, that they'll have to, like, burn the Foot Clan down from within. But, you know, I guess we'll see what happens. I thought it was interesting, the the parallels they drew between... The I can't remember her name, but the sort of witch lady who was in Shredder's employ, like that she was, yeah, that that she was one of the sort of like she had siblings and everything. And there was that one issue where they sort of explained, I I think maybe the the Rat King was one of the main Mm -hmm. bad guys in the Casey and April miniseries. And they sort of explained that he was one of her siblings. And I was kind of like, oh, that's kind of neat. Like, that's. That that's something else where they sort of tied in certain characters together that I I didn't know there was a connection between before. Okay, there's one thing I have to bring up before we go any further, and if you look at my avatar, you can probably <laughs> figure out what it is. Can we discuss Vin, how like Tom, vindication? Yeah, like either, either Tom Waltz like went back in time and like watched me play as a child or something, or yeah, he's reading my he's listened to our podcast or he's read my mind because okay, uh I guess I should re explain this for anyone who doesn't know, but um back when I first got into like X Men and like comic books and stuff, like being a kid, you know, I wanted to play with like toys of them, but I could not find any. So what I would do is repurpose toys I already owned as X-Men characters. So some of these choices made a lot of, you know, decent amount of sense. Like I used the Shredder for Wolverine cuz, you know, he's got claws, and I used uh, the trench coat Donatello for Gambit cuz he has a trench coat. So, but for Cyclops, the closest, like, analog I could find was Metalhead, like, you know, the robot turtle. And the reason, my reasoning was he had red eyes. So, like, for a long time, Metalhead was my Cyclops. So in this series, like, they introduce Metalhead, and he has a gold, like, a yellow visor, and he shoots red optic blasts. So what the fuck, man? Like, (laughs) where are my royalty checks from IDW? What the hell? Uh, it, it's it's like bizarrely specific like like it really like I, I was honestly creeped out like when i first read that like i think i posted in a thread at bot talk like i was like what the hell idw you ripping me off rose like what I'm like i i talked to rick veach at a con and i was like don't don't hold your breath for idw giving you royalties because i i know when I, when i brought him that poster to sign of the, I, I forget what you'd call the arc, but it's like the arc in the Mirage comics where they had like the leeches and stuff. And and I told him how that was like one of my favorite turtle stories, and that's why I brought him the poster. And he he was like, oh yeah, this poster is like, I, I did a great job. Like like he wasn't like patting himself on the back, but he was just like looking at something he had done in the past, and he was like, man, I nailed that. Like this is, you know, this is cool. And and he was happy to see it and everything. And but then he did get into the story about how. You know, basically, he's like, you know why these aren't reprinted? And it's because they're stingy. They don't want to pay me shit, you know? And it was like, I I think the idea was, uh, you know, originally, you know, probably him and, you know, Eastman and Layard probably had a 
like a gentleman's type agreement or something. You know, I, I don't know exactly how it was or, you know, who knows, maybe it is in writing. But but once the you know character rights got transferred over somehow, you know, maybe Nickelodeon can ignore it or whatever. I, I don't know how that works. But basically, you know, uh, that's the main reason why that story isn't reprinted anywhere is because of the whole, you know, that, that they won't actually pay him, you know, his royalties for, for the those stories and stuff like that. And he's not basically I, I think what they usually do is give him like some kind of paper that basically just says you give up creative control of this story, you know, and he's kind of like, no, <laughs> you know, like, give me my money, you know, <laughs> like and so. So, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure if it was IDW, they'd probably like just send you a little letter that's like, OK, now all your childhood dreams and stuff, Metalhead of Cyclops, you just sign that over and you're just like, no, dude. They're going to have to go back into the past and issue my past self a cease and desist. But no, just just extremely airy, like very, very like I feel violated somehow. Like, yeah, like my childhood playtime activities were somehow like pillaged. I I feel like I feel like I I thought maybe you'd feel like you were vindicated because you're like, see, he is Cyclops. (laughs) there is there is an element of that too if um if dan slaw ever introduces the hobo goblin you know someone's tapping into your (laughs) (laughs) it was me behind it all the hobo goblin mike's like what the hell he's got a little stick with a little bag attached to it and he like flings pumpkin bombs out of it Uh, i was trying to think of some other stuff i liked uh i really liked that issue where the Shredder and Krang met and, like, had that, like, you know, parlay where they talked on the boat, and then, of course, it, like, degenerates into, like, violence, and, you know, there's this cool fight on the boat. Like, I thought that was a really good issue. I can remember, like, asking Justin, did you read that? That was fucking kick-ass. Like, and I, I liked the whole, yeah, like, the Krang versus the Foot Clan, like, dynamic, basically. I was really happy when they introduced Bebop and Rocksteady. Like, I don't know why, but, I, like, as a kid, like, I always liked whenever they were on screen because, like, you know, yeah, they're, like, the bad guys and they're, like, you know, they're these huge, like, animals, but they're, like, they're so, like, goofy and funny. So, like, when when they showed up, I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to get good now. And, like, they've been, like, they've been equally, like, comedic uh, and also, like, extremely brutal as we, like, you know, previously discussed, but, like, I, I was just happy to see them show up. Yeah, they're, they're, like, legit threats. So, as far as, like, the, the villains in the series go, I, I think, speaking to what you were saying about the parlay on the boat and everything, I mean, that does, when they do have their final fatal showdown between Krang and Shredder, I did like the notion that even behind the scenes, like, even guys like Baxter Stockman sort of got their due, you know, like, he he was conniving and sniveling and, you know, being forced to work for Krang in the background, but there was that element of he still had, like, plans within plans, and he helped out Shredder in the end of that fight, and how even though he was locked up, it was like, oh, well, you're locked up, what are you going to do now, and he's just like... I have, like, super Baxter Stockman prep time. Like, I've got all these mousers in the vents, and, you know, all this cool shit's going to go down. And there was all this kind of, like, double and triple crossing going on where it's like, we knew Baxter Stockman was going to double cross us, so we used his double cross as a triple cross, you know, and stuff like that. And I, <laughs> I thought all those things were, like, fun elements in a in the ongoing narrative that were, that were you know, super enjoyable. And, and, and I think that 
speaks to the love of the property. It's like they didn't you, you, you never got the sense that like just because like, say, you know, maybe that version of Baxter Stockman was from the Mirage comics or that, you know, because Bebop and Rocksteady are cartoon creations like it, it didn't feel like that that lessened or heightened their importance more than any characters you know hun gets character development and and you know as casey's father but also as the leader of the dragons you know and it's just like i think all those characters you know slash you know like all those different characters seem to get you know loving treatment and and development and equal weight throughout the course of the series they're all kind of taken kind of seriously you, even, know what I even, was, you know what I was going to say, like, and it's not on my avatar or anything, so you probably can't see it per se, but there, there was one thing that stood out to me, and, you know, I, I guess I just felt like mentioning it, is, like, in the Return to New York storyline, since we're talking about Hun, like, some of those issues, especially when he came back to the bar and, you know, was looking for, um, not April, but, um, what's that, that chick's name, the, the dragon girl who angel angel yeah but when he comes back to the bar and he's looking for angel and he's like tearing up the bar and everything like i swear a couple of those panels looked like a my my uh mark bagley drawing to me like it was like all of a sudden like hun looked like i don't know eddie brock or somebody you know like to me and i i just i don't know if, if that that was anything that sort of stood out to you or anything, but there, there were a couple images like that where I was like, dude, did, uh, like Mark Bagley, like is drawing this all of a sudden or something like, so I don't know. It just looked, it looked like that to me. So like speaking of character development, like I, I remember for a long time, I was like really just irritated that they kept using old hob. It seemed like, you know, like they can never get rid of him, you know, like they shot him and all this other stuff, and I'm just like, quit using old hub, like, I'm tired of seeing him. But then, like, they started, you know, giving him more character, and then, like, I really like the old hub, like, micro-series issue. Like, I kind of, like, you know, started to feel sorry for him, because we got to see, you know, he was, like, you know, he was just a cat, and, like, the, I think this guy named, like, Billy, you know, this little kid Billy was, like, taking care of him and stuff, and he was, like, a happy cat, and then, you know, we, we see how he turned into, like, this kind of, like, you know, mutated cat, gangster thing and i and I, I kind of you know now i'm like yeah oh hop's cool but like I, I i just you know i like how they they can do that with the character you, you know at first you're just like oh man like enough with old hop but then like you know 57 issues later you're just like yeah old hop's cool i like him yeah i was i was happy when they did a like kind of rival fusion with old hob when they were like you know yeah let's like pool our you know forces and stuff and splinter you know I, I, I forgot, and then at some point, like, Splinter sends, like, the Turtles to do something else, and Old Hob's all pissed off, and Splinter's like, you know, I said I would help you, I didn't say anything about them, you know. Yeah, I think that's where they're sort of implementing part of Donatello's Terradrome plan, and they, they kind of go off to do their own thing, and then I think, you know, Hob's there with the mute animals and kind of wondering, like, oh, it would be better if we had the turtles with us and stuff like that, but they're going to go off and catch up with Donatello and stuff. I, I, I thought the hop stuff was fine. Like, I mean, it was cool to have him there as some kind of rival fusion in terms of, you know, splinters doing things that are not on the up and up just to bring down shredder, you know, whether it's like 
busting into the lab and getting the mutagen for Old Hop so he can make more mutanimals. I mean, I, I guess that's worth bringing up. It's like with the the stupid fucking pigeon that like tries to recruit Bebop and Rocksteady to the mutanimals. You know, it's like you know, like he's kind of like a funny character that you know for for all intents and purposes i mean he's he's dumber than dirt but he he brings like a lot of sort of sweet comic relief where he's making them like pizzas and and cakes and stupid shit but then they're like make sure you check for bugs you know like make sure there's no worms in there you know like that kind of thing and it's like you know i think there's like that one thing where they're like i have confirmed this is bug and worm free and then and then they they catch like a a bug or something and they're like whoops sorry hey that wasn't totally clean you know and so like those those characters i thought were you know brought brought a lot of comic relief to the series but but we're also you know it changed the uh, the balance of power in in the terms of the storyline, you know, because you have these these characters, and you'd think like I, I I mean I suppose you know in some sense you've got the foot where there's this large army of ninjas, but it's different because if it's just a large army of ninjas and you've got all these mutant animals that are super powered running around, you know, then basically the foot has to escalate as well. So you've got you know not only Bebop and Rocksteady, but I'm I'm pretty sure I mean I guess you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but the the other characters that seem to have like a it, almost like a Tigertron Air Razor vibe. Like, there's the the one, what is it, like the Hawk and the, the Hammerhead Shark, I think it was. Like, those two characters seem to be fairly original to the series and, and were pretty interesting. But I can't I can't remember exactly what their names were, like Kano or something, or I don't know. Bludgeon and, uh, yeah, yeah, Koya? Or, Koya, I forgot Koya. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, but those are those are not from any other media that I know of. Yeah, I was going to ask, yeah, did they, were they, like, I wasn't sure if they were, like, toys or something, like, I hadn't, like, you know, someone who showed up in the comics that I hadn't read, or, you know, I, I assume, yeah, they were original, but I guess, do you guys know, or? There's a I, sh- I do. There's a shark in the new animated series, but he's not oh. a head. Like, I think his name is Armagon or something, and he has, like, a middle okay. suit. So, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they're original, but. You know, I'm not going to say with 100% certainty they are. Mm, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they haven't created original characters, like, you know, like Old Hob or what's the the Fox, uh, Alloplex or sure, whatever, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I know it's like it's like it's spelled Alopex, but I think when I read it now, I think I think of it as like French. So I'm like, I think I call her like Alope or something, but I, I don't know if that. Right okay. Now. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting because they they tried to set her up as kind of like a almost like a love interest for Raphael, or at least, you know, that they, they, they play with that idea. I mean, not much comes of it other than uh, that that girl Angel is constantly sort of ribbing Lope. You know, oh, you're friends, huh? Well, why don't you go talk to your friend, Raphael? You know what I mean? Like that that she's kind of giving her crap about it. But, they're, they're, you know, but there, there seemed to be that notion of, you know, that, she, she may be controlled by the the Foot Clan witch at some point later, you know. But but for now, she's sort of on the side of the angels and stuff, and kind of goes through the the sort of redeeming moments with the turtles because early on, Raphael, of course, is prone to anger and you know basically sort of accuses her of betraying them at the drop of a hat in the Northampton run. But I think after that, they sort of come to an understanding and realize she wasn't responsible for Koya you know, attacking them in that, 
in that run and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't say enough good things about it. I mean, I, I think like the, the art, like the, the majority of the art is by a gentleman named Mateus Santoloco. And like, I really got used to his, his interpretation, his version of the turtles so much. So, like I said, when, like in 51 and 52, when they had the guy, the artist change and his name was Ken Gehring and it kind of looked a bit more like, I'd want to say like almost like he drew them kind of like the movie turtles in a way. Like, and it was just like one of those things where I had gotten, I mean, they, they switched some of the pencilers, but it wasn't quite as noticeable in some of the other arcs, you know, whether it was like the Terradrome arc or the Northampton arc, I know there were different pencils on that, you know, other than uh, Santa Loco, but I, I really, really got used to his, I mean, I, I don't know if, you know, I go back and listen to the, the first arc we did on the Turtles IDW comic, and if I wasn't too keen on the pencils or not, I, I don't know what, I can't even remember now, but I, I think I definitely had become accustomed to his stylings on the turtles and, and when it changed up, I was like, this is unacceptable if, if there was like a fill in artist, but yeah. Like I, I don't remember us commenting much at all on the art. Like last time we talked about it, but yeah, I, I generally liked it. And I also, I also felt the art change kind of like felt unsettling after in 51. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's any fault of the artist. It's just, I think you got so used to, seeing the the art team that they had and and they, they even like i said when they switched it up there was other people like a gentleman named Corey smith or another guy named ross campbell you know and they, they ross campbell did the northampton pencils and uh, Corey smith did some of the pencils on the attack of the terradrome like i still thought those were good and they they sort of were it, it seemed like it was the same stylings at the very least, you know, but I, I think, I think the, the 51 and 52, I think the art change was, was really jarring, I think, compared to the, the other artists that they got for the, the books and everything. You know, one of, one of the other miniseries I wanted to say a little thing about, cause I enjoyed it was that the secret history of the foot clan. Oh, yeah. Like, I think that was, that might have been earlier on, like, during, like, the era that we discussed last time, but, like, I, I went back and read that, and it, it, you know, it, it told a lot of the history of, like, Hamato Yoshi and Oroku Saki and, like, the Foot Clan, and I, like, I really liked it, so. Cool, yeah, I mean, I, I, it seems like a lot of those specials and or miniseries seem to be pretty Wasn't there... Justin, I didn't read it, but wasn't there one about like the Utrams too? Um, yeah, I was it uh just a Krang issue? The yeah, mic- I think I think it was like oh may- the villain, maybe the like, villains micro series or something yeah. like. That. Yeah, I I don't know. I thought I saw there was like a mini series or something about the Utrams, yeah, but I I don't. It I don't goes remember. into like the whole story of Krang and like how his dad like was in power and how Crane took over. Like, yeah, that, that that's that's actually referenced a few times, like, throughout the series. I forgot about that, actually. It's cool, like, that, like, I think those all add to, like, the tapestry, almost. Like, you know, you can find, you can probably find, like, a whole issue about, like, every single main character, basically, like, at this point, so. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree with that. Another one other element I forgot to mention I liked from issue fifty was during Shredder's uh, fight with Splinter, where uh, Splinter ends up going through all four of the other the the turtles' weapons fighting him. Like I thought that was a nice touch. 
Yeah, I thought that last fight was really good. I mean, you know, like like I said, it was it was one of those things where you felt like, you know, in retrospect, it's easy to see, you know, reading the original Turtles issue number one, you know, of the Mirage series, and and realizing now that the Shredder is their ultimate bad guy, and you wouldn't, you, you know, you wouldn't off your ultimate bad guy after one issue, you know, but. But, you know, of course, hindsight, you know, they didn't know that at the time. They were just making kind of like a gag comic almost, you know. So it's like, and, and in this case, like, this was not, you know, this was anything but a gag. And, and it treated Shredder with, like, you know, utmost respect. And obviously he was one of the big bads throughout the course of this whole series. And, and his exit was, was, you know, handled you know, pretty incredibly. I mean, you you were you were sort of on the edge of your seat watching the fight, like you said, and and then when Splinter got involved, you're kind of like, oh yeah, this is. I mean, essentially, it's it's very similar to, to you know, it, it it is like the first issue of the Turtles comics in that the Turtles are fighting Shredder, but of course, it's a lot like the end of the original 1989 movie as well, and that the Turtles kind of still get their asses handed to them, and it's Splinter that has to sort of step in and have the, you know, mono a mono fight with Orokusaki, you know, and, and sort of settle things, you know, man-to-man or man-to-rat or whatever, however you want to put it. You know, the the Turtles only lost because they didn't play Buck-Buck. You know, Buck-Buck? No one? Okay. From the, the last movie. Oh, like what when they <laughs> slam, when they slam into the the fucking cars? I I, I don't I I only saw when that. they when they do the little like leapfrog thing. Oh okay. Hey, who wants to play Buck Buck? Buck Buck. What? Buck Buck. Tony on a pony. Some people call it Johnny on a rock. I like crickets. I guess it didn't. Yeah, it didn't make an impression on it. I'm like I I kind of remember that movie, but not really. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of forgettable. But yeah, okay. I'm like, <laughs> I killed, I'm like, I killed I'm like, the conversation. I'm like Gungala and Buck Buck or Turtle Turtle Killers. <laughs> it's like those are the ultimate bad guys. So I, I mean, I'm assuming we're kind of we're, we're kind of at this point. I mean, we we do really enjoy the series, but th- we've kind of exhausted our our praises and or you know things that we noticed about it that were really cool. So I guess what we'll do at this point is we're going to take a commercial break. I had the pleasure of being on a really cool podcast, which you guys have probably all heard by now. I hope you have. If you haven't, go check it out. But it was called the Quad M Podcast, and uh, the host there, TJ, was kind enough to have me on the show. We talked about, you know, podcasting, like fan holes. We also talked about history of comics on film, my video series and everything. And we talked a little bit about retrovirus and a bunch of other fun stuff, comics, spinner racks, all that kind of good stuff. So uh, what we're going to do is play some trailers from his podcast and also his comic series and then when we come back we're gonna take a look at batman teenage mutant ninja turtles which is a six issue crossover from dc and idw so stay tuned guys hi this is tj damon with quad m productions and co-host of the quad m show 
The Quad M Show is a somewhat live and semi-weekly comedic podcast. We're your hosts, T.J. Damon. I'm not very, I'm not, 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 Jason Vickers. I let all the air out of my tires so they don't go flat. And Jesse Barnett. I think I even accidentally listened to the show this last week. Bring you their takes on current pop culture and geek world news. Show features include the FGS Award, highlighting the pinnacle of human stupidity for this week, and Reddit Fun with Jason, where your hosts compare their opinions with the hive mind known as Reddit. Here, take a listen. My biggest problem with the movie industry as it sits now is that the trailers that they are putting out give everything away. Batman and Superman are going to duke it out. Then along comes a stronger foe. They're going to have to team up. Along comes Wonder Woman. So you've already ruined that surprise for everybody. (laughs) Now we're going to have Gail Godot's Wonder Woman coming in to save the day. And when Wonder Woman and Superman are there, what's Batman got to do? <laughs> you got this handle. I'm going to go work on my marriage with Jennifer Carter. <laughs> New episodes drop Mondays at 12 noon Eastern. Check us out at www.quadmproductions.com. In a city where corruption rules the streets, only one man can stop the serial killer known as the Blood Bandit. James Kurt, a former police officer turned private investigator, must race against the clock to stop the madman before he achieves his ultimate diabolical goal. When JK's brother Alex is thought killed in the line of duty and mysteriously returns with no memory of his past life, the stakes are raised even higher. Enigma, the comic book series from Quiet Productions, written and illustrated by TJ Damon, with colors and effects by Jason Vickers. Enigma. Order your copy at quadmproductions.com today. Hey guys, welcome back. So we hope you've enjoyed listening to those commercials. And now we are back to discuss Batman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Give me the camera. Look, he's doing his Batman voice. What I basically did was I, I basically cribbed a mini synopsis on the miniseries, and I'll just read that up so you guys kind of have the basic idea of what it's about, and then uh, me and Mike and Justin are going to do some talky-talky about it. So here we go. DC Comics and IDW team up for the crossover you never saw coming as two of the greatest entertainment icons meet for the first time in Gotham City. A series of deadly raids leads Batman to believe he's up against a group of highly trained ninjas known as the Foot Clan. Somehow, they've crossed over to another dimension and are determined to take advantage of the situation while looking to get back home. But they haven't come alone. Leonardo, Raphael, Donatello, and Michelangelo are hot on their trail. Get ready for excitement as heroes and villains from both worlds clash and team up in an epic battle that threatens the very fabric of reality. So yeah, that's that's kind of the brief synopsis of the actual plot of the team-up story. I mean, I guess if you guys have listened to the show, you know me, I kind of dig team-ups regardless of who they are and, and, and you know what parties are coming together. And I think Mike was the one who, who originally suggested this. Like, you, you sort of wanted an excuse to read this. So did this, did, I mean, did this sort of live up to your expectations? Like, what were your expectations coming into this? I, I was kind of uncertain about it. Like, I, you know, there were, I thought there were a lot of, like, factors in play. Like, 
I didn't I wasn't very familiar with the writer. Like I wasn't I wasn't sure if this was going to be like its own thing or like you know if it was going to be in like New Fifty Two canon or IDW's like canon or you know what what exactly I I like sometimes you've got the crossovers where you know like when Transformers and GI Joe used to cross over in Marvel it's like oh well they're in the same universe and then you've got the crossovers where they're in a separate third universe where both these properties exist in the same like you know the same universe basically but. I was kind of surprised that it did seem like it was in like both canons, basically. It, it like, seems it seems like they tried to put it in both canons, and maybe it's just because I had been binge reading the IDW series, but I felt like it worked better within the confines of the IDW series. According to I, I looked on Comic Database, and they have a note where they say it's definitely obviously set before. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 50, because obviously the Shredder is one of the main bad guys, and the Foot Clan that he's leading is is his. So this is obviously before Splinter has his, you know, final fatal battle with Orokusaki, which makes sense. But they claim it's set in the New 52 continuity shortly after Zero Year, which kind of makes sense, but again, kind of like a DBZ movie, like I'm sort of suspect, and I can point. My, yeah, if, I, if, I, Dam- if Damien's there, I, does that make I, sense? I, I yeah, can like... sort of point my finger at it and kind of go, "Wait a minute," you know, like there's that, like how old Damien is, like did that all happen, like like shortly after Zero Year. Batman flew a plane, knocked up Talia, she got pregnant, pooped out Damien, and he's a badass ninja all in nine months, and he's nine years old or whatever. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Like, that doesn't really make a whole hell of a lot of sense. And beyond that, like, there's things where, like, I think, I mean, the way he's drawn, like, Commissioner Gordon seems like the classic DC Comics Commissioner Gordon. He's got the white hair. He's kind of old. He's got a pipe and everything. And it doesn't seem like the Gordon they set up in Snyder's run, basically, like, kind of, like, he's older, but he's a redheaded guy. And, you know, like, even even in the Bat Bunny era, he's clearly more physically fit and younger than, you know, your classic version of James Gordon. So, I mean, I, I suppose it could have easily been rectified if they had just colored his hair red instead of you know white but i mean there there were things like that and then i, I think the thing that makes it really problematic is you know n- i guess getting into you know spoiler territory obviously which is what we tend to do but you know the the arkham portion of the miniseries like where it features i mean it's one thing if you know shredder and penguin have an alliance but by the end of it they basically, and, and I don't know how you guys felt about this, but I thought this was kind of one of the more weak sauce elements of the crossover. But basically, they, Ra's al Ghul and Shredder bust everyone out of Arkham Asylum and give them mutagen. So you've got like a Joker who's running around like a cobra, a King Cobra snake. You've got Bane who's like running around like a big freaking elephant. And I'm trying to remember like what else they did to these poor bastards. I think, like, Harley Quinn was, like, a hyena or something. I, I don't remember, but I was just, like, some of that stuff, I was kind of like, eh. like, like, the Harley Quinn in it didn't seem like the New 52 Harley Quinn at all. The Joker in it had to be the Joker before his face gets ripped off, but 
I mean, I don't know how that fits into anyway. Well, you know me, like I'm not crazy about stories where characters turn into hulks or gorillas or something. So like the last issue, like I wasn't crazy about just because of like like that issue. Yeah, it was it was kind of weird, like that that portion of it. I thought, but um, I, I you know not to focus on like anything like super negative or anything. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it does seem to fall into that trope of more recent team ups that I've noticed where because the writing is uh, is compressed, you know, it's it's that written for the trade mentality. Like it, it does have that notion of you don't really get to see the team up until almost like the third issue, you know? And and I, I feel like that's common with with uh miniseries and, and team ups these days. You know, it's almost like, you know, issues one and two are like the first couple acts where you're introduced to the two different IPs, you know, like you, you get to get the setup for, okay, the turtles are stuck in Gotham city, you know, and, and it's, it's neither of the options that Mike mentioned, you know, it's not that they're, they're in the same universe. It's not that they're in some weird alternate universe where they've always been in the same universe. Like it's actually some kind of dimensional quantum MacGuffin machine that, you know, teleported the turtles into the new 52 Gotham city, basically. And, and at that point, you know, the shredder and the foot were also teleported there and they're hunting down all this equipment at Wayne tech, because that's the only thing that can bring them back to their IDW New York city earth, basically, you know, and then there's, there's constant mentions of, you know, either from Donatello or the other turtles about, you know, how, this version of the universe it's like oh you know there's some funny line about how we don't even have a gotham city you know it's like it's this big lot of nothing next to new jersey you know like basically you know like how how the universes are are obviously different you know they have different movie stars and different internet memes and 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 things like that so yeah well uh, aside from that weirdness at the end which i also yes thought was a little going a little too far like i know like i I know they were trying to like celebrate like like you know the elements of both series but that that was going a little bit yeah too far but um i enjoyed it for the most part like um i think the like the character interactions were really good and i think there was a nice balance of characters like there are some things, you know, you, you would think that, you know, some people would make Batman the bestest at everything or, you know, able to, like, you know, one-up the Turtles at every turn, but, like, he doesn't. And, like, he, he's also not a jerk either, which I thought was nice. Like, you know, once he, once he gets to know them, it seems like he gets along with them pretty well. So, like, I, I appreciated that. I think I think because of the deconstructive nature of the the trade writing there. I think if you were reading this month to month, I I did have that vibe when I read maybe like the first couple issues where, you know, Batman does basically sort of make the turtles look like fools when they first meet. Like I did kind of get that thing of, you know, in the back of my head where I was like, God damn it. Why does Batman always have to make everybody look like assholes? You know, 
But in some sense, like, it was kind of funny, like, seeing Michelangelo doing his kind of usual geek shtick where, you know, he's got, like, the chalkboard and there's, like, the two elements where it's, like, he, he circles <laughs> yeah. both of them and it's, like, here's what's cool about him and here's what sucks, you know, and it's, like, oh, you know, what sucks is, you know, dresses like Dracula and Raph's mad at him and he basically handed us our asses and this and that. But what's cool is, dude, he's got a cool car and he's got these cool, you know, toys and, you know, he, he's super badass and, and, you know, he's Batman and stuff, you know. So, I, I mean, in some sense, like, I think by the time I got to that portion and by the time it sort of had a turnaround around maybe like issue four or so where they're all, you know, basically Splinter kind of returns the, the ownage where he tracks, you know, the bat cave down and they all get into the bat cave unnoticed and you know batman's like what are you guys doing here and then they have the obligatory you know double page spread that like reveals their entire history in two pages to catch up people who have no idea you know what the turtles are all about you know basically and 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 then at that point it's like okay well you know leonardo has sparred with batman and you know flipped him over and, and knocked him on his ass as well you know so i'm like okay fine they both you know, they they both had moments where they made the other look kind of stupid. So in that sense, you're kind of like, look, at least these guys are, you know, kind of on a even playing level at this point. And it's not just, you know, Batman can never get beat because he's Batman, you know, like that kind of thing. I was like, oh, good. Like there there are other elements to it. And and I have to admit, I mean, I know I know there are some people out there who, who do not like Damian Wayne at all. But I am not one of those people, so I have to admit, even though it makes no sense if this is set, like, shortly after Zero Year for Damien to be in the story at all, like, I did get a kick out of him coming home and going, what are these fucking turtles doing in the cave? I'm kicking all your asses, you <laughs> yeah. little bitches. You know? I like when he sees, he sees like, uh, Michelangelo's hooked his, like, video game system up to the back computer, and, like, Michelangelo's like, dude, like, you've never thought of doing this, man? Like, how could you not? Like, look at the size of that screen like <laughs> yeah so like those those kind of things I, I i definitely had fun with i mean and 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 also i think in some ways you know it, it's fun seeing the characters pair off against their respective opponents you know like i i did dig the, the notion of batman fighting with shredder like i thought that was kind of like a cool pairing of the two and 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 how they seem to be in some sense you know it wasn't like you know batman's just like what you're a cheese grater, I'm Batman, and he, like, beats him with, like, one punch. It's like they're actually, you know, evenly matched opponents and stuff, and, and it's not like one guy, you know, is totally way better than the other. Like, I, I sort of enjoyed that aspect of it, and I thought that was pretty cool. I, I also got that, like, feeling from the Batman versus Shredder fight, like... Like, I don't know, it, it seems like, you know, it seems almost obvious, but you're like, you know, this fight would never happen unless, like, except for this, like, miniseries or whatever. So, like, I don't know, it seems special, basically. And I, I like the, the Turtles taking on Rachel Ghoul, too. It, in my mind, like, Batman and Shredder fought in 1989 because, like, when I was a kid, I would have all my toys fight each other. And, like, it, it didn't. It didn't matter, like, if it was, you know, Egon and Raphael and He-Man teaming up. I mean, like, because I was just a kid, I would just play with whatever was around. But, um, <clears throat> but I, um, I had this friend who was the complete opposite. And I remember the first time I went over to his house, like, he had, like, 
everything Dino Ratters and Ninja Turtles and Centurions and all kinds of great toys. And so he would be like, hey, you want to like play toys? I was like, yeah, because like, he had like the coolest toys. But but anyway, so I start taking like random stuff. I'm like, all right, I want like the T-Rex from Dino Riders because it's so huge and awesome. And I want like, you know, the Ripley and the Loader from Aliens and, you know, whatever. And he was like, what are you doing? I was like, well, this is my team. Like, these are my guys I'm going to use and we'll fight your guys. And he was like, but like, you know. He's like, Ripley never met, you know, the Dino Riders, and, like, you know, He-Man never met the Ninja Turtles and all this stuff, and I guess for him it was like, you know, the worlds were colliding, and he he didn't know how to do that. I'm just like, well, this is how I play with my toys. You know, like, I use everybody together, and they team up and fight. And he was like, well, that's dumb, and I don't do that. So he's like, you know, to him, like, the Dino Riders fought the other Dino Riders, and, you know, the Turtles fought Shredder, and... There was never any crossover. I was just like, you have no, you have no imagination. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm, I'm curious because I want to get a visual. So was this like, was this like Toy Biz Michael Keaton Batman fighting yeah. Playmate Shredder? Okay, okay. Justin, I, I totally feel you on that because like me and my cousins, we used to have a game called Firefighters where we would, they had, like, this giant old, like, toy fire truck, like, with a, you know, like, one of those, like, long ladder trucks with that, that were was, like, a trailer, and it was, like, super long and, like, you know, huge. And, like, what we would do is take, like, all our action figures, and they'd all get on the fire truck and drive around, and, like, like sometimes they would go stop fires, but other times they would just, like, fight other things. <laughs> so it's, like... The, the only sometimes the only reason we'd call it firefighters is because that big truck was like their mode of transportation. So, but yeah, no, I, I get you. Like that stuff's fun to me. So, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Would Would you guys think of the art in this? I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought I, the one person I thought looked weird was like Splinter. I don't know what it was, but his facial hair just looked weird to me. But. I did feel like, and I, I don't know if this is a symptom of the whole, like, I, I mean, I don't have a problem with Batman's New 52 costume, but I felt like the way it was portrayed in this was like it was overly armored, it seemed like. Like, it, it was funny to me that, like, part of the through line of the story was like, oh, Batman's working on this other armor, and of course, eventually that's revealed towards the end of the series with a, a few adjustments from Donatello, which I thought was cool. But I kind of was thinking in the back of my head, like, doesn't he already have an armored suit? Like, it feels like, you know, it kind of already was armored to begin with, you know? So I was just kind of like, there were some aspects of Batman that looked a bit weird to me. But um, the art was by a gentleman named Freddie E. Williams, Jr. or Freddie E. Williams the second, and um, ironically, I guess the the author is James uh, Tinian the fourth. I think he's the guy who writes or was writing the New Fifty Two Batman and Robin book. I think I, I can't remember because I'm not reading it, but I think that's what what he is um, what he's done before this. So I mean, I think he's got experience writing Batman and Damien at any rate. I liked uh, all of, like, how Alfred reacted, basically, to, like, you know, the turtle, like, Michelangelo, yeah, like, yeah, skateboarding yeah. around the mansion, and 
ordering liquid pizzas for them and stuff. Like, I thought that was all pretty hilarious. Like, I was like, if you call me dude, you know, like, you're not getting your skateboard back. I like how, like, Michelangelo thinks he's a robot at first. (laughs) Yeah, he's, like, so lifelike. (laughs) He keeps poking him and shit. It's like, Master Michelangelo, I'm not a robot, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this was, was fairly enjoyable. I mean, I'm not going to sit back and say it's, like, the greatest crossover I've ever read in my entire life, you know, or anything. I mean, there, like like we said, there's some kind of, I, you know, it's I know you said you, you enjoyed watching Ra's al Ghul and the Turtles fight and everything. I, I did have a moment of, like, I, I was just getting my head wrapped around Penguin toadying to the Shredder, and then it seemed like, you know, as one of the climaxes of, that, you know, one of the cliffhangers of, I think, issue four or five, it was like, oh, and by the way, like, Rachel Ghoul's now teaming up with Shredder, and I was like, what, huh, like, huh? you know, and it seemed like everything, like, escalated really quickly, and I guess in some sense it makes sense, because you're like, well, Penguin's, you know, in terms of comparing him to the Shredder, you know, Penguin is not as important to Batman as Shredder is to the Turtles, so you're like, okay, well, yeah, you'd want somebody of equal significance to Batman maybe in a in a crossover scenario but then all of a sudden it just seemed like holy crap this like escalated into you know Rachel Ghoul and the League of Assassins Shredder and the Foot and they're deciding to bust everybody out of Arkham you know and I was kind of like wait like I mean I know Rachel Ghoul does that all the time but then part of me is very much like is this really going to help your cause like releasing a bunch of crazy people you know like into the into Gotham City but anyway, I guess that's just, you know, I, I did have those kind of thoughts while I was reading it. I mean, I guess I probably should have just said, ah, it's a fun crossover and not think about it a whole hell of a lot. But I, I did stop and think about it occasionally. So that's all that's all I'll say as far as that goes. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, like I, I just kind of, you know, enjoyed it and I uh I, like I said, the, the ending seemed a bit like over the top, but other than that, like you know, I, I would I would read it again probably. Like, okay, well, I'm curious. Like, what about you, Justin? I mean, I know you you pretty much seem to be the the preeminent fan of that IDW series. I mean, you were the guy who was reading it monthly. Is this something that you read monthly at all, or is this something that you read you know in grand total for the show, or what, what like in terms of your appreciation for the IDW series, I mean, how does that relate to to this series? Is it just like a fun offshoot, or is it something that you enjoy just as much? Um, I read the first two issues when they came out, and then I just kind of, like, put it on hold, and I was, you know, kind of like you said, like, it felt like they were writing for the trade, maybe. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to put this on hold and wait for the next few issues to come out and read the whole thing all at once. But, yeah, like, I, you know... I enjoyed it, you know, like I said, like I said, except for that last issue. But I kind of, I kind of took it as its own thing. Like it, it was nice that they tried to, you know, at least reference some stuff that was going on in the IDW series. But like, you know, like you said, the Batman stuff kind of doesn't make any sense. Like it, it hurts my head normally. But like throwing, throwing like a crossover team up with like another property like makes my head hurt even worse. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But I, I just kind of take it as a, uh, you know. <laughs> In my head, it's as like in my head, it's as much canon as like, you know, my toy Egon teaming up with like He-Man and defeating Skeletor or something. That's those fire truck adventures. Yeah, fire, firefighters. Back off, Raph. Oh, 
I only saw Batman once. Cool. All right. Well, I, I think that kind of wraps up our final thoughts on Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm glad we got a chance to catch up on the IDW Turtle series and then read the, the crossover and everything. And we hope you've enjoyed listening to it as well. One of the features that we like to do regularly on the Fanholes proper podcast, which this is, is called What is Awesome in Your World This Week? And that's usually where we just bring up something. It could be a book, a comic, a toy, a video game, like something that really caught our eye, something that struck our fancy, something we just want to share with the class on, you know, what basically was awesome in our world this week. And I think I'll kick it off and let the other two guys wrap it up. But all I wanted to say was I, I've been kind of catching up, or I, I don't know what the right word is, but I've, I've been trying to fill holes in my Marvel Legends collection, and I think because I just watched Captain America Civil War, for some reason I've been on an Iron Man kick, and one of the things I managed to snag on eBay was a Disney European exclusive, which comes in, I guess, a box set with four other figures, and the only one I was like super interested in was the Iron Man because it was basically the modular, or I don't know if it's modular, but it's like the, the whatever they call the Heroic Age armor. The, the Bleeding Edge. Bleeding Edge. It was the Bleeding Edge armor from the Heroic Age, but it is actually colored, as Tony and I often like to say, it was colored banana yellow. And, of course, I thought that was really cool, and I, I appreciate that because the majority of Marvel Legends Toy Biz or Hasbro figures are usually colored gold. I mean, there's a few that are banana yellow, but those are far and few between, and I thought that was kind of neat. It also doesn't hurt that it comes with a Tony Stark swap-out head, so that was something that got sent to me. It was actually sent from Spain, all the way from Spain, but I guess it's like some kind of Disney European store exclusive or whatever, that five-pack, and I ended up getting the Iron Man, and that came in the mail this week and I had a lot of fun taking photos with it and kind of trying to swap the head onto different suit bodies. I, I will say it probably fits the best on the Coulson suit body and you, you probably can squeeze it onto some of the other ones, but I wasn't going to try it. Like I, I think some of the pegs are too big for like the chameleon suit body or the Bruce Banner suit body, but it, it seemed to fit just fine without making much of a fuss on the, the Coulson suit body. So I, I had a lot of fun with that. I love me some banana yellow Iron Man, and that is my awesome thing in my world this week. And I guess I'll turn it over to Mike, who I see blasting me with some metalhead optic blasts on his avatar. How about you, man? What is awesome in your world this week? I'm got, I got some Transformers the past few weeks. Um, I, I, I probably mentioned this before on the podcast, but I signed up for like the fan clubs, like subscription service or the 4.0 subscription service. There's going to be like a, another one called 4.5. And since the fan club is ending after this year, it's like their last like batch of like exclusive toys and stuff. But, um, the ones I got so far are, uh, they're basically making the mayhem attack squad, but as a combiner, and so far, I got Needle Nose and Ruckus. Or, well, they have to call Ruckus, I guess, because they can't trademark the name. They call him his tech specs calls him Grabouge, which I guess is his French name. Like, so I, I don't, I, I don't know, but it's Ruckus basically. So 
Um, but they're they're both like redecos of existing Combiner Wars toys. But like, there's so many paint apps on them. Like they look great. Like they look like they're G1 toys, and you know I'm very happy with them. Um, and the other the other like bigger purchase I guess I got was a third party transformer uh, called uh, it's from Mastermind Creations. Uh, it's called Spartan, and it's basically Impactor. Uh, you know, uh, comic exclusive Transformers character in the Marvel UK comics. Uh, he's uh, in the IDW comics as well. But uh, they basically made like a sort of Voyager sized Impactor, um, and he's pretty damn sweet. Like he's he looks exactly like he does in like Last Stand of the Wreckers. He turns into like a tank that's like the Metal Slug tank, like from the video game Metal Slug, which I thought was kind of a weird homage, but uh, I don't know, it's it's neat. But um, I'm super happy with this figure. I mean, it looks amazing. It it looks like Nick Roche's like art come to life, and um, like you know, the, uh, ironically, um, the fan club subscription service, one of the figures coming out coming out is an Impactor, but. You know, it just uh, it's just a redeco of an existing toy, and like it's not a specialized like like interpretation of the character, which Spartan is. So like I'm I'm super happy with him. He looks awesome. He comes out with like with a swappable like harpoon hand, and you know he comes with the little gun he uses to execute Squadron X in the comics, and like i'm just beyond pleased with this toy so yeah he's my like awesome thing primarily of the week yeah i saw your i saw your photos of of not impactor i thought they looked pretty cool like i could see why you're like super happy with them and then being a fan of the wreckers like you are and everything it must be cool to have like a interpretation that you're super happy with and everything yeah like I'm, I'm happy that he's the same height as Springer because like the official like fan club impactor is going to be a little deluxe. Mm. So I, I don't know. One one of my big things with Transformers toys is I like them to be the the a good scale to each other in robot mode. So like you know, I I feel weird if like a character in fiction is like shorter than like another character in toys. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I feel like if. Optimus Prime and like Ultra Magnus are standing next to each other, then Ultra Magnus should be a little taller than Prime. But if like the official toy is shorter than the other the Prime toy, then I feel weird like yeah. putting them next to each other. Yeah. So that makes but, yeah, it, that makes sense. Spartan, yeah, Spartan's like the same height as the the Generation Springer from a few years ago. So you know, it's all good in the hood, basically. Cool, cool. What do you have to for that fan service one? fan club one is it just like a is it like a maddie collector thing do you have to like sign up well, what i basically yeah like or? i had to be a member of the club which was like 40 bucks and then i like they give you either an installment plan like it's seven figures and they give you like an installment plan or you just take the hit all at once okay. so like i had a i had a lot of cash on me so i paid like it's like 300 bucks so okay. like i i hit it up all at once and it's probably stupid, but like it was, they were figures I really wanted. You know, it's the it, it's the Mayhem Attack Squad, and they all combine into like basically Thunderwings. So like I was kind of like, okay, well I'm gonna have to get that. So, uh, you know, I, I don't mind dropping money on something I wanted, basically. So when you yeah. when you do the lump sum, do they is it better for you on shipping, or do you get hit up for shipping? Every time no, no, it's it? a, it's. 
No, it's 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 included. Oh, like okay. I paid the whole lump sum. Like and it, like I was kind of like you know wary of it because the fan club does not have the best reputation when it comes to like you know getting figures to people oh, okay. or you know refunding people if something goes awry or you know. But but so far you know the first two figures came like two weeks apart and you know they're both like perfect condition and they you know nothing nothing troublesome so far so hopefully i get the next five figures without any trouble okay cool yeah i hope the same as well yeah i mean i you know i know everybody's got their stories about you know whatever it is you know like maddie collector or hasbro toy shop and stuff so i mean if anybody's listening i figure it's good to get a a first-hand perspective of of what somebody was in for and so far it sounds like everything's going uh, hunky-dory so far so good so I, i hope it stays that way so how about you, Justin, my man? I see a evil, malicious Shirelle in his little back-to-tank staring at me with his eyes closed, I guess. what What is um what is awesome in your world this week, my man? Well, as usual, I have two things. Um, the first thing is I have a – I picked up a Batman trade. It's Tales of the Batman, Gene Cullen, and it's uh, a complete trade featuring, uh, you know, art and stories by Gene Cullen – and I really liked it, and it has a lot of different stories. You've got, like, stories featuring uh, Dr. Death, Man-Bat, Poison Ivy, and there's this weird, like, multi-part story where Batman, like, kind of turns into a vampire. Like, it, it was kind of neat because, you know, like, my favorite thing of Gene's is his um, Tomb of Dracula. So it was kind of weird to, like, see something in a similar vein, but with, like, a totally different character. So I, I thought that was, like, a weird but really cool story. So, like, I, I really enjoyed that trade. Um, the second thing is I've been playing Dynasty Warriors 7, and, you know, it, it's not the latest uh, in the series, but I, like, you know, I, I picked it up pretty cheap at, like, a GameStop or something, and, like, I've, I've put a whole bunch of hours in it. I've beat the four campaigns, and now I'm working on Conquest mode, just going through and conquering different uh provinces and everything but like I, I i got i got really into it and like i i remember like being in high school and like a buddy of mine you know like he I, for, I forget which one but he was playing one of the ones for like playstation 2 and like he got really into it and like he got so far into it like he you know he appreciated the history and he like started reading up on like you know romance of three kingdoms and stuff and like i you know at the time i played those games and i enjoyed them but I didn't get, like, that deep into it. But now, like, you know, you know, 15 or 16 years later, like, I'm kind of feeling, like, what he must have because I'm, like, you know, kind of interested in the history. You know, like, I, I would like to read the book. And I, I kind of looked around, and there's, like, a, um, you know, a, a Asian drama that's, uh, like, a 97 or 98-episode adaptation of Romance of the Three Kingdoms. So I'm, like, thinking of, like, getting into that, too. Cool. Is that something that's like easily accessible, or is it something you gotta like hunt around for? Um, I think you'd have to like torrent it. So like you know, it's it's one of those things. Okay. No, I mean most of that stuff is often like that. But I mean it's something yeah. that they somebody's actually probably subtitled though, right? That you can actually yeah. watch yeah. it and stuff. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. No, that's totally awesome. I I, I think it's funny because I was I was thinking about you actually. Like uh, uh, yesterday, because I was killing some time uh, waiting between, you know, appointments and stuff. And, and I walked into like a GameStop and I was just like looking around. And, and then I noticed like the alien isolation 
you know, game and stuff like that. And, of course, I didn't really feel like buying it from GameStop, and I even noticed, like, on Amazon now that's fairly cheap, too. So it's, like, one of those things where you start thinking about stuff where you're like, oh, hey, yeah, like, you know, it's like somebody who's already checked out the games and given it their seal of approval and stuff. And then, of course, like, now it's, like, all those um, Disney Infinity things are, like, on sale because they just announced their, like, stopping support for the the game and stuff so like i I was noticing that as well where it's like gamestop is trying to like hawk all those those leftover systems that they have that like you know nobody in their right mind should pay for i mean unless you just want like you know uh, unless you like collecting the action figures or whatever but you know you think at this point it's like how, how much longer you know life does that does that game system have not not much i'd imagine so but yeah no that that's totally cool the like is for dynasty warriors i mean my only experience with dynasty warriors and I'm, i don't know if mike can say the same but but is just maybe like the, the gundam versions of it and stuff like that's basically what i've played through is it similar or i mean i mean i know there's more like historical aspects to it but i mean in terms of the gameplay are you kind of you know hacking and slashing so that certain campaigns can be won and stuff like that and, yeah you know, it's certain... pretty much, it's, it's pretty it's pretty much the same thing you know it's a hack and slash game like i you know i've, I've played um uh was it gundam 2 dynasty warriors like I, I got really into that one too so like you know sometimes when you play a game you want something like alien isolation where you kind of have to like think ahead and you know come up with a strategy but you know sometimes you just want to like sit down and just you know kill a bunch of things i guess so like yeah yeah so like that's that's basically <laughs> like those uh, uh hack and slash games like is, is is the dialogue as repetitive as it was in gundam like <laughs> i remember being like shin with the destiny and i'm like damn you damn you damn you damn and just hacking through people yeah no nah, no nah, th- there are some like you know Sometimes you'll beat like a an officer or something, and he'll be like, you know, you will regret this. I'll come back and defeat you one day. Like I'm kind of tired of hearing that, but like for the most part, like it, it's like, you know, there's nothing in it that kind of irritates me or anything. Nice. I think now because we've been looking at so many common writer shows, like sometimes I, you know, I know a lot of it probably wouldn't be translated, but I do have that slight temptation if there's some kind of like hack and slash common writer game to maybe. There is. Check something like that out too. Yeah, there there is a game like that. Like I've seen some uh, footage of it. It looks awesome. It looks like it's set up like like a hack and slash game because I saw this guy like I think he was playing as like Common Rider Black and then he changed into like Decayed and he was fighting a bunch of Shocker goons and I was like this looks awesome but like I have I have no idea what the text on the screen is saying or you know like yeah I, I would be afraid I would like play for three hours and I wouldn't be able to just like save or anything so I'm yeah. Kind of, that That, that's the only thing that like i mean i know like you know i i depend on the the graces of of mike to to help me out with a lot of that stuff whenever we do those shows with the the gundam stuff because it's like sometimes i'm like i don't know it's triangle it's square it's whatever it's one of those things (laughs) you know like like uh, sometimes the game is easy enough that you don't really need to read anything but like sometimes it's like you know it can be an essential part of the game. It's not like you can play like Garen's Greed on the PlayStation without reading Japanese. Like it'd be a waste if you, you know, didn't didn't know how to read it or it wasn't translated. But like some games, I guess you can clearly get away with, you know, just not reading it and and, and kind of just playing the game outright and stuff. But yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Both those things are awesome, and and that's basically why we um, do our 
awesome thing of the week. So now that we've wrapped that up, we hope you've enjoyed listening to this Fan Holes proper podcast that is celebrating Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows coming to film theaters everywhere June 3rd. If you have any comments. And it's, it's, it's featuring Tyler Perry's Baxter Stockton starring Tyler Perry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and let's not forget, uh, you know, Stephen Amell doing another uh, comic book guy on, on, on the film screen. So it's Casey, Casey Queen, Casey, Oliver Casey Jones. Jones. You have failed yeah. this sewer. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so so there's lots of cool stuff to look forward to. And if you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, you can send them to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We are on tons and tons of social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Twitter. So if you have any comments, and we appreciate all the likes and feedback and everything we get on those social medias. And... In addition to the Van Holes podcast proper, we have our spin-off shows such as Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, Sentai Saturdays, and Mobile Suit Mondays. So if you've enjoyed this proper podcast, we hope you will consider checking out all the spin-off series as well. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. This is Mike and... The bat costume is meant to intimidate you, but just don't be intimidated. And this is Justin. Peace? I assume. A pizza. Pizza. Pizza? Yes. Pizza time. Pizza. Turtle power. Pizza. Now when people hype up Batman, you can be like, Leonardo beat him. <laughs> Leonardo fucking flipped him on his ass. Trip time that. Trip time against the mutant ninja turtle flipping you on your ass. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It, Spl- Splinter can find out his identity. <laughs> My son dressing like a giant bat does not make me not know that you are Bruce Wayne, son. <laughs> <laughs>